Hello, and welcome to the March 2020 edition of Aon's Retirement Market Update podcast. I'm your host, Ricky Marsh, and in what I think is a first for this podcast, we've escaped the confines of the cheese grater and we're recording live on location at the first London date of Aon's Pensions Conference series. The main reason we're here today is to catch up with our guest, Susan Hoare. She's currently presenting a conference session on governance and the future of trusteeship. And when she's finished that, I'm going to grab her for a few minutes to talk about the same topic. Now, I know that sounds like a kidnapping, but don't worry, she definitely knows I'm coming. In the meantime, let's take a look at the latest pensions news. In keeping with the last few episodes, we'll start with an update on the pension schemes bill. This is currently working its way through the House of Lords, and a number of amendments have been tabled. In particular, there's a government-sponsored proposal to add new provisions relating to climate change. These would enable future regulations in this area, including a requirement for trustees to publish information about the effects of climate change on their schemes. The DWP has also written to the pensions regulator on this topic, setting out his views on how climate change risks and opportunities should be integrated into TPR's activities. Another area of the bill that's been generating a lot of debate, both in the House of Lords and more widely, is Clause 107. Now that introduces a couple of new criminal offences, and one of those relates to conduct risking accrued scheme benefits in a DB scheme. The government commentary around this is focused on reckless behaviour by employers, with at least half an eye on some recent high-profile cases. But the clause as drafted is much broader, and it could potentially cover any person, including trustees, actuaries and lawyers. It could also apply to a very wide range of activities, including any decisions relating to funding or investment strategy. Now, David Fares from TPR was at our first pensions conference in Manchester, and he mentioned that if this clause remains in its current form, TPR would need to think very carefully about how to use this power in practice. The wording may well be tightened up before the bill is finalised, but for now, this is something the whole industry will be keeping a close eye on. Last month, I mentioned a few things that have been delayed, and we now have updates on a couple of these. Firstly, it looks like we'll have not one, but two different accreditation regimes for professional trustees. On the 11th of February, the Association of Professional Pension Trustees announced that their regime would be opening for applications in April. And then, two days later, the PMI announced its own separate accreditation called Aptitude, that's capital A-P-T, which opened on the 24th of February. Now, both of these will follow the framework put together by the Professional Trustee Standards Working Group last year. Secondly, HMRC has published its long-awaited guidance on the tax implications of GMP equalisation. This focuses on the dual records approach, with HMRC's position being that any benefits being equalised were accrued before the current pensions tax regime started in 2006. These proposals should help to avoid significant issues relating to the annual allowance and loss of tax protections, but they could also increase the burden on schemes, particularly as historic retirements may need to be reassessed for lifetime allowance purposes. What the guidance doesn't do is tackle the more difficult questions around the GMP conversion approach. HMRC do acknowledge that there are separate challenges to consider here, and while they do say they will continue to explore these, it's not clear that they intend to produce any further guidance. Following consultation last year, the Financial Conduct Authority has now set out its new rules on the disclosure of costs and charges for members of contract-based DC schemes. This follows the DWP's introduction of similar rules for occupational DC schemes in 2018. The new rules are being phased in over two years. Disclosures for 2020 will only be required for default funds, with other fund options being brought into scope in 2021. 
The FCA have also confirmed that only default funds will need to be covered in the chair's statement as long as the details for other funds are published on a public website. These changes were made in response to feedback from the industry that the range of fund options for contract-based schemes is often very large, meaning a huge amount of work would have been needed to cover all options, and the sheer volume of data may be difficult for members to fully digest. TPR have announced that they'll be carrying out short-notice spot checks on large employers to ensure they're continuing to comply with the auto-enrolment requirements. These employers were among the first required to comply with auto-enrolment when the rollout started in 2012. This comes as TPR are also ramping up their light-touch regulatory initiatives in a range of areas, including deficits versus dividends, long recovery plans, investment governance and record-keeping. They recently put out a press release highlighting the positive results they're already seeing from these targeted communications, so we can probably expect to see more of this in the future. And finally, Aon have published their latest DC survey, which covers over 200 UK DC schemes with more than half a million members and over £50 billion in assets. The theme of this year's survey was how do you measure up? And we found that while most respondents want to do more than the minimum, many are struggling to find the best way of measuring themselves against their objectives. One stat that really caught my attention was that 44% of schemes described their main aim as offering a pension in line with their competitors, while only 29% had the main aim of delivering sufficient funds for their employees to retire at a reasonable age. The survey is being released in instalments over the next few weeks, but you can register to receive a copy of the full survey when it's available, and I'll include a link for that in the show notes. And if you'd like more information on this or any of this month's other news stories, I'll include contact details at the end. Back in August, we told you about a consultation that TPR were running on the future of trusteeship and governance. Now, TPR published their response to this consultation on the 10th of February and fresh from the conference stage, I'm delighted to be joined by Susan Hoare from Aon's governance team to talk about what TPR have said and how trustees can start to apply the key points in their own schemes. Susan, thanks for coming in. Sorry to drag you in right at the end of the day. <laughs> That's absolutely fine. Thanks, Ricky. So um, I guess the key thing that came out of the future of trusteeship consultation, which many trustees are breathing a sigh of relief, is there's not going to be professional qualifications for trustees. There's no requirement to have continuous professional development. And the regulator is not going to require a professional trustee on every board. What they are going to do is they're going to revise the trustee knowledge and understanding and be much clearer clearer on their expectations of trustees. Now, that's probably a good thing. The existing code of practice is over 11 years old. So I think it's fair to say that it was due a rewrite. Yeah, that's quite a long time. It is. <laughs> They also signpost that there's um, 15 hours of um, training that they would expect a lay trustee to carry out per annum. Now, that's not been mentioned before. It's not a requirement. It's a recommendation with professional trustees being required to carry out 25 hours per annum. And even where trustees are doing that, I'm not sure they've got the record to confirm that's what they've done in practice. So maybe some changes needed there. Um, the other key thing for me that came out of the future of trusteeship was the focus on the the combined skills of the board and here we're looking at the broader softer skills that the pensions regulator believe should be represented on every trustee board as well as a greater focus on diversity on trustee boards. The regulator did stop short of having trustees report the actions that they're taking to improve the diversity across their board and instead are going to put in place an industry group to look at this and look at ways to improve diversity on trustee boards which is going to be a challenge. 
Yeah, and I guess diversity, there's sort of two sides to it. There's almost the thing you normally think about, which is more the kind of things you can see and the representation, but then there's also, I guess, an aspect of trying to improve outcomes, which is something the regulator's focusing more on now, isn't it? Absolutely. So from the regulator's perspective, it's cognitive diversity is the key thing for them. It's about enhancing trustee effectiveness. And so that is one of the things that they really want to focus on rather than the representation of the membership, which I think is a fair thing to focus on and lots of trustees are doing that. Equally, focusing on things like the skills across your board, as well as the personality, the combined personality of the trustee board, and also looking at the cognitive diversity, I think are the really three key things that drive better outcomes for trustees. And has the regulator given any kind of steer as to how trustees can try to achieve this? Or what have you seen people doing if Sure. So it's, it's quite hard. I mean, for it, it, it varies by scheme. Some schemes have an abundance of trustees who put themselves forward at every election or selection exercise. And for others, they're grappling around to grab anyone who's interested in carrying out the role. So it, it is a whole spectrum there. And for those who have plenty of choice, then it'll be much easier for them to be able to pull into their board those people who complement the existing trustee board much more easily. And for those who are struggling to attract people. Now, these are the ones I think the regulator really needs to focus on, because for me, this is about communications. This is about how you write out as part of a member election or selection exercise and ask for nominations. It's how you present the role of a trustee. Are you presenting it as a technical expert or can you talk about some of the transferable skills that people can bring from their everyday jobs and start to look at and think, do you know what? I can add value to this role. If you start to turn and twist the communication so it has that kind of slant, then I think we will start to address some of the lack of interest in carrying out a trustee role. So I guess one of the other things that the regulator focused on in this consultation was the role of sole trustees. And it's it's not entirely clear to me how that fits in with the requirement to have a diverse trustee board if you've only got one person. I would agree with that. And I think the regulator actually came out as part of this to say that they had anecdotal evidence of concerns of the practice in the sole trustee space. And so they're going to carry out their own analysis as part of this um, future work into sole trustees generally. But I think what's clear is what you can't have is a one-man ban running a sole trustee role. You're looking for a professional firm where they can bounce ideas and get diversity of thought from their peers as part of the process. So it doesn't necessarily in a sole trustee mean world mean you can't get diversity. It just means you have to try a bit harder. So I know the regulator were quite keen in the initial consultation to try and consolidate the number of DC schemes down. Have they said anything more about that in their response? Yes, so they have actually. So what they've done is they've signposted some work being carried out by the DWP into revising the value for member assessment for schemes of less than £10 million. And here what they're asking those schemes to do is to compare themselves against a scheme of a similar size and also against a master trust. And where they fall short, they're going to require them to either take remedial actions or where they can't make improvements then they want they're going to force them to consolidate into a master trust now if you do that to 10 million pounds and you start to up that level to around 50 million which you could quite easily see happening over time then very quickly you end up with a lot less dc schemes in the universe and that then allows the pensions regulator to come back to its desire to have a professional trustee on every board and then capacity no longer becomes such an issue for them. So if, if you were to ask me for a prediction, then I suggest that's where this might go in four or five years time. 
So just looking more widely, uh, we're expecting at some point the, the regulator to come out with a, a single modular code. Have we got any clearer idea of what that's going to look like yet? Yes, so we're expecting the consultation to come out towards the end of March. It's mainly an amalgamation of 10 of the existing codes of practice, and so it's not intended to be particularly controversial. It is designed to be viewed online, so it's quite a different style of code, and it will be made up of 67 fairly short modules. Now, that does sound like quite a lot of modules, but they are (laughs) one to two pages long. So I believe that overall, the number of pages in the new code of practice is actually shorter than the combination of all of the 10 existing ones and we get to remove a lot of the duplication that existed under the old code of practice so there are some benefits it's some changes as well so it applies to both private and public sector pension schemes and so we lose reference to terms like trustee in this document and instead they start to define things like governing bodies so other than just drawing everything together, are there going to be any new requirements under this this new modular code? So not necessarily new requirements per se, but the style is much more directive. So the regulator is very clear on expectations of trustees, both in their tone, but also the introduction of checklists at the end of many of the modules. So that's of the order of 60 individual checklists to check your compliance against. And the only other area I'd say is a change is the following the introduction of our up to into UK legislation last year, there is a greater focus on risk management from what I've seen so far. So I think we can expect to do more on risk management in future. Okay, so taking all of that into account, what would you say the, the kind of top top few actions are for trustees coming up? So if I start with the single modular code, then for me, it's looking at each of the checklists that come out at the end of those modules to check your compliance against them and also reviewing your risk management plans to ensure they're robust. If you look at the future of trusteeship, then it's gaining an understanding of the skills across your trustee board and looking at ways in which you can start to improve the diversity on your trustee board and maybe reviewing some of your communications around appointing new trustees so you can start to gather that diversity of thought on the board. Excellent. All right. Thanks very much for coming in then. Thank you. Okay, that's everything for this month. I'll be back again for next month's podcast, which should be jam-packed with news given the various announcements we're expecting to come in March. Thanks again to my guest, Susan Hoare, and thanks to you for listening. If you've enjoyed this podcast, don't forget you can subscribe to the series through all the usual places, including the Apple Podcasts app and Spotify, so you never miss an episode. And if you'd like more information on our retirement solutions, or if you want to feature in a future podcast, you can contact me on ricky.marsh at aon.com. Otherwise, please visit our website or email talktous at aon.com. 